All right, so I have Acts chapter 9 here, and as you know, uh, I've been talking about the transform, uh, unleashing new life. That has been the teaching series that we've been going through, and uh, transform has been kind of on the hearts and minds of everything that we've been, we've been doing over the last few weeks. Today is the fourth week, and I just want to kind of begin by saying in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10 in just a minute, I'm going to be reading to you. I know that normally I have Eric read the scriptures or I have Peter read the scriptures or, you know, I know some of y'all are going to be surprised that I can actually read, but I'm going to read these scriptures with you guys here. And if you've got your phones or if you've got your scriptures, whatever it is, if you'd like to just stand with me, please, we're going to read this passage. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. So if you'll rise in honor of God's word, the Bible says in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much that he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then Saul, after several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews in living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So we've just heard uh, the word said together. Why don't we just share our scripture declaration? Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. You guys can be seated. Now, I don't know if you guys were paying special attention. Did you hear the thing that happened at the end of this passage that we just read? It's really cool. Saul learned of a plan that he was in danger of losing his life. Day and night, they were keeping watch over him and his followers, you know, people that were following with Saul, took him by night and lowered him in a basket 
through an opening in the wall. As you know, there, back in those days, the city wall would be kind of you know, pressed up against uh, the edges of the city. And oftentimes, uh, a house would be built into that city wall. And so what they did was they opened up the window and let Saul down in a heavy-duty basket in the wall so he could escape and escape with his life. The good news is there's actually a picture taken at that very moment with a digital camera, and it's actually going to come up here on the screen. Let's take a look at slide number two. There it is right there. That was Paul being let down. All right. How many of you guys get that reference? Do any of y'all get that reference in here? Congratulations. If you get that reference, you're old. Mission Impossible 1, 1996. Yes, you and I are very, very old. That's also another, uh, you know, direction that it was taken. So here's the deal. Spider-Man stuff, right? But very, very cool. Saul barely escapes with his life. They're after him. It is no joke. It is legit. And people are looking for Paul, Saul, however you want to refer to him as. But Paul has words about Ananias. Let's, let's go to our something to learn very quickly. Our something to learn reminds us that this story that we keep telling and retelling and kind of reading from different parts of the scriptures keeps telling us from a different perspective what Paul experienced and how powerful this thing is. We all think about Paul's Damascus Road experience as something that was just about him. But the truth of the matter is, is that Paul himself recalls all of these different parts of it. And there were other persons who were vital parts of him shifting from a private convert to a public Christian. He changes his pattern of life. He's not just a private convert who's come to the Lord and has this thing inside of him. If you remember back, Nicodemus came to the Lord by night and he was an undercover Christian for years and yet he eventually came out of the shadows. Joseph of Arimathea, also a part of the Sanhedrin, did the same exact thing. But here is the truth. Paul immediately walks away from one way of life where he is all in. And then he turns around and he goes in a total different direction because of what God has called him. How he has revealed himself to him on that Damascus road. And once again, he's all in. It's just in a brand new direction. And these people who loved him... Now hate him, these people who hate him now love him, and everything in the world is flipped upside down and transformed. It's a brand new life. Well, here is the truth about Paul, and we see, I've been telling you guys, that one of the aspects and elements of all change always happens in community. And this is the truth. As just as sure as we know that Jesus could spit on the ground and make mud and heal somebody and make them see he's done it in the gospel accounts, we know that he could do that. We know he can heal from a distance by just simply speaking a word. But in this instance, it is so important for us to note that God didn't heal Saul after three days. He said, I've kept you blind long enough. You're really listening now, so I've got your attention and be healed. He sent someone to come and lay his hands on him and say, man, brother Saul, you are now walking in a brand new way of life. And I, as your brother, as your sister, I recognize that you are walking in a brand new way of life. And I'm here with you and I'm here for you, encouraging you to keep walking down this path. Now, if you think 
If you have fallen prey to the idea that you can get along in this world as a Christian without a community, that's not how God's word tells us that we're supposed to be living, much less how we will survive. And so it's so important that we grasp this. But I want to look at Paul's words about Ananias, that the words that he said over in Acts 22. Do you guys remember how we said Paul had the experience And then he details the experience in chapter 22 and chapter 26. And so in chapter 9, there's the details of the experience. But each one has a little bit of a different flavor. You guys know this, right? Y'all have done this before where you relate a story and you tell a little bit more detail or tell a little different detail to different ones. It's not that it's different. It's just that I'm telling you more. It was still true back then, but I guess I just didn't take the time to say it. But as we look at Acts chapter 22, Paul shares the words of Ananias, and I want you guys to check it out. We just read the narrative in Acts 9 just a moment ago where he walks in, he puts his hands on him, but there's more that he actually said. Paul recalls it and rehearses it in front of those who are there at Acts 22. So let's go to Acts chapter 22, um, and we'll take a look at that. That is... Slide number five, if you don't mind, sir. Um, Paul's words about Ananias, and this is what it is. Let me see here. You got, you got that? Slide number 22? Okay. What's that? Uh, go to slide number five, if you don't mind. And is this it? The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. That's part of the narrative that we didn't know because that's happening behind the scenes. You remember the song we just sang a minute ago about the way maker? He's seeing things happen in the other side of the equation, so to speak. And he's moving in a way that you and I don't know until suddenly we hear the knock at the door, let him in. And it's a guy named Ananias, the name that God had already put in his, in his mind and in his head. It's really incredible. It says, and he has gone there. He talks about how there's so much harm that has been done and all of these different things. So we be, be very clear about the fact that God called Ananias, sent Ananias, and that he was God's man. But I want to be also clear about something else. Let's go to this next slide about God's man, Ananias, and what do we know about God's man, Ananias? We know that he was fearful, but he was faithful. We just listened to that passage of scripture. What was he basically saying? Lord, are you sure? I'm not supposed to go see that guy who's been killing people and throwing them in prison, am I? I mean, not that Paul, not that Saul, that man that I've heard about. And God to him says, you go. (laughs) He doesn't sit him down and go, okay, now listen, I just want you to understand about this new, it's the new, it's Paul 2.0, you know, it's not any of that kind of stuff. It's not a long conversation. God just says, go, end of story, end of direction. And you and I, we've been there when God says to do something. How many of y'all have ever felt fearful but remain faithful because that's the truth. Like that's what we need to say. We need to say, Lord, I'm afraid that this is not going to end well. (laughs) I'm afraid that I'm going to make a fool of myself. Lord, I will do what you say, but I just want the record to reflect that I think this is a bad idea, right? 
We all know this kind of conversation that usually takes place in our heart and mind with the Lord when he sends us. But yet, if you will remain faithful, you will see God working not only in other people's lives, but in your own. And I'm here to tell you something. Until we begin to let God work through us, we will never feel the fullness of God working in us. And so it is so incredibly important for us to say, Lord, even if I'm afraid of what you're sending me to do, I'm going to remain faithful and I'm going to do it. So very quickly, don't miss this. Don't miss this thing that you might miss. How you and I order he, me, and we is going to determine our life. Now, I know you guys are, y'all can say he, me, we, me, we, he, you know, whatever order it comes in. Here's the deal. How you order he and me and we is going to determine your life. Now, you might not believe me yet. I'm going to try to give you just a little bit more about this so you can grasp what I'm saying. The common order is this. It's me first, not thy will, but mine be done. We would never pray that, right? I mean, we would never pray that. That's the antithesis of the Lord's prayer. But yet the truth is, is that if I'm in, you know, in control or if I'm first, how I order that is wrong, then I'm in trouble because I get to be God and God gets to be the follower, not the leader, not the God. It, we, if it's convenient, others that I love are going to benefit. That's great. You know, that's fantastic. But here's the deal. If it's not me or if it's not we or he above, you know, then if it's convenient, great. But if it's not, sorry, you know, it's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous direction. This is the common order. And most of the time God gets the leftovers, not the first and so we got to be very careful. How we order things is incredibly important. How we order he and me and we will determine the path of your life. Here's what I mean. I shared this with you last week, and I want to go a lot deeper in this idea. This is the Seth Godin quote that I talked about, how people don't believe what you tell them. They rarely believe what you show them. They often believe what their friends tell them, but they always believe what they tell themselves. Now you think about that for just a quick moment. I've shared this quote with you a ton of times because the truth of the matter is, is that in your mind and in your heart, you have a constant conversation going on, don't you? One of y'all is not paying attention enough right now. You're listening to the voice in your head. Listen to me for just a minute, right? Here's the deal. We always believe what we tell ourselves, even when we know it's not true. But we act like we believe it. How many of you have ever had that voice in your head say, man, there ain't nobody who cares about you. And you know in your very being that's a lie. And yet you also know that your heart feels, nobody loves me. You know it's a lie, but you listen anyway. Why is this so important? Here's why this is so important. Ananias hears the voice of God. Go down and be the person who welcomes Saul into my family. Be my hands extended on this man who needs to know that even though he was a mortal enemy, he is now an ambassador. He needs to know that, not just from me, but from others around him. Go. If you listen to what you tell yourself, 
and the order isn't right, you know what you do? You go, I ain't going. (laughs) I ain't going. Because your voice inside your head is saying, you're a fool if you go down there and put yourself right in the presence of the man who wants to imprison or kill you. You are an utter fool. Am I wrong? That's what your voice is telling you. But what is God saying? He's saying, go. Do you you hear the order is right in Ananias? Because God says, go. And he's like, (laughs) let's rethink. Let's let's powwow on that, Lord. He says, no, you go. And he says, okay. (laughs) He goes. He doesn't get excited. Well, great, Lord. This is fantastic. Now, let's be honest. How many of you in here have ever had this experience where you do it, but you're just not feeling it at that moment? Can I see your hands? I mean, we've all been there. Maybe you broke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe something happened. Maybe somebody said something to you. Maybe you're wearing something that doesn't fit right and it's making you uncomfortable, you know. I don't know what's going on, but here's what I do know. Sometimes we're doing things and we're just not in them wholeheartedly. How many of you have ever had that happen and you're just sitting there with this bad attitude and yet God still does something amazing and you look back and go, wow, I really should have seen that coming. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't see it coming because I was so busy thinking me, not he, not we. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And so ultimately, the order that you and I put he and we and me in makes every bit of difference to the life that you will live and the life that you will lead and also the the legacy that you will leave as well. It's so incredibly important. God's man, Ananias, let's talk a little bit about him even more. He was fearful but faithful, but he also was the confirmation of God's leading on the other side of the equation. I don't know if you guys were listening real close or if you caught what I was sharing, But there was a confirmation of something that happened in our church body. I can't go into all of the details, but I will tell you that one person had a a thought. And that person's thought was, you know what? You need to reach out to this individual that you haven't talked to or texted in a full year. It's been at least a year and probably another year before that year. And so that thought crossed this individual's mind. And he was like, huh, no, I won't do that. I mean, what a crazy thought. Why in the world is his face coming to my mind when I'm talking to God? On the other side over here, that same individual, the very next day, sends a text and says, I'm just checking in on you, wondering how you're doing. Is everything good on your side? Now, let me ask you guys a question. If you were that guy over there, How powerfully would it be speaking to you that God was over here talking to one of his people and saying, reach out because that brother over there is in need and he needs somebody to be there for him. Powerful stuff. Amen. Can I get an amen? Right. That's powerful. Now, here's the question. If this is you, what do you do? I don't want to explain like they would even understand. I mean, I'm going to feel so stupid. Besides for that, I'm embarrassed that I haven't reached out in a year. I'm sure none of y'all have ever had that conversation in your head, right? But what does Ananias do? He goes and does what God wants him to do, even though the voice in his head is saying, you don't need to do that. You'd be a fool to do that. Don't you dare do that. 
He's fearful but faithful, but he is also in his obedience, the confirmation of God's leading on the other side of the equation. And I don't know about you, but here is Paul sitting there with his eyes blinded for three straight days and a thought comes to his mind, there's somebody that's going to come and somebody that's going to come and lay their hands on me and pray for me so that I could receive my sight. And his name, his name ain't Jim or George, it's Ananias, right? You notice it's not Judas either in the house that he's in right that moment. It's a guy named Ananias, not just whoever, this easy name. It's from nowhere. And suddenly the knock on the door, the hands on his shoulders. Brother Saul, God has sent me so that you might receive your sight. Powerful stuff. I mean, it is incredibly powerful, but don't miss it. This is Paul's story, but this is also Ananias' story. And here's the problem for most of us. We're like, wow, that's great for Paul. Yay. This is Ananias' story. This is other people's story. This is the people that are hosting Paul. It's their story. It's another guy that we're going to meet in just a moment. It's his story. It's God's story with each of us playing a part. But for most of us, we're looking for the lead role and going, whose story is this? Who should I be paying attention to? We're looking around for God to show us who the superstar is. When the truth of the matter is, the superstar is always God himself. End of story. Like, it ain't about Paul. As powerful as Paul changes the world, and he becomes literally the leading voice of Christianity outside of Christ himself. But it's still, ultimately, it ain't about Paul. It's about God. And what is God doing to change this enemy into an ambassador? To send a man who's fearful but remains faithful. To send a man to be the confirmation. To be willing to engage and not just simply to arrive. This is what's powerful as we read a little bit more and deeper into the story. We see that Ananias didn't go, okay, receive your sight, go. (laughs) It wasn't like that. Can can y'all follow me quickly enough on that camera there? I mean, wouldn't that be you and me? You know, could you tie him like on his foot while he still can't see? I'm going to pray for him and then I'm going to get out of here before he recognizes anybody. No, that's not him. He walks in and I don't know exactly how this happens. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be very honest with you. There have been times that I've stepped into this pulpit and I've wanted to be passionate. I've wanted to be the vessel that just pours forth, but maybe something in my life, whether it's sin or, or, or just being tired or whatever it might be, I don't always pour forth like I want to. But here's what I would say. I've stepped in and I've said, you know, Lord, I wish I was better prepared. I wish I was better clear about this thing that I'm trying to convey and I can't quite convey it right And then the Lord pours out in ways that I don't even grasp or understand. And in the moment, I'm just transfixed knowing what God is doing, knowing how little of it is me and how much of it is him. You guys understand? I say all of that to say 
This is what I think happens. It's just what I think happens. It's pure speculation on my part. But I think when he walks in, instead of going, I'm fearful of this man, I'm going to pray and get out of here as quick as I can, he starts talking and he starts saying some things that are powerful to hear. And that's what I want to share with you. Let's go on about Ananias' words here. Let's check out what he says here. The man named Ananias came to see me. This is Paul. Now, I'm not going to be doing this a lot, so you better pay attention. I didn't leave things on there accidentally from the slides before. Look at the end here. And you're looking and you're like, that's a lot of parentheses, a lot of quotation marks. They're all there for a reason. Here's what's going on. This is quoting Acts 22. That's the one on the far right on the bottom line. But then there is also another quote and another quote because this is Paul quoting Ananias. You guys with me? So Paul is recalling all of these things that Ananias said. And here's what it says. A man named Ananias came to see me. This is Paul talking. He stood beside me and said, and this is the new quote, Brother, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he, that's Ananias, said. Now, let's stop. Ananias was supposed to go and pray for him. We don't know if he had orders or not from God to say more than he said. But here's what happens. When he's in that moment, he's not just there doing his duty. He's there looking for a way to be a blessing. He's prophetic in the things that he's saying. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be prophets. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, for a lot of us, we can come into church, leave church, maybe receive a blessing, maybe not, but we never let it cross our mind whether or not we were a blessing when we came. Because the truth of the matter is, is that for you and for me, it ain't about who's the leading actor in this play. It is always, always, always about God. And so if we can be a blessing in his name, that is the first thing that we should be looking to do. We should look to be a blessing and then look to receive one. Because the truth of the matter is, is that when you look to be a blessing, you almost always receive one. When you look to receive one, you, it's, it's scattershot at best. It's probably less than 50-50. I ain't going to lie. Because me gets in the way of he. And you know what? Truth be told, sometimes we gets in the way of he. Because I get too wrapped up in what's going on with other people and not seeing nearly enough God. And so if I look to be a blessing, I always get one. And so here's what's happening. He walks in, and instead of looking just to you know, to, to receive a blessing, he looks to be a blessing. He says, Ananias says, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear words from his mouth. Man, you heard God's own words. You will be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, and call on his name. I love this because this is more than we know he was supposed to do. But he did more than because he said, I'm here to be a blessing, not just to fulfill a duty. And for many of us in our life and in our world, we want to do what we need to do and get out. Do the thing that we feel bad if we don't do and then get out. 
And the truth of the matter is, is, man, that's no way to live your life, much less a way to live your Christian life. Here's the truth. This is the big idea today, and I want to share this with you, and then I'm, gonna, I'm keeping moving here, uh, but let's check this out. Your participation in the community affects the power of the community. And Paul laying there on his knees, sitting there on his knees, pardon me, as he's kneeling there waiting for somebody to speak to him, somebody named Ananias. I don't know if you caught it or not. I don't know if you heard it or not. I don't know if you clued in or not. But God told Paul that he was sending a dude named Ananias before he even told Ananias, you're going to go. Just sit, sit with that for just a quick second. That means not that God was going to say, oh, you're going. Not that. It's just so powerful to look at it and go, wow, God could count on Ananias to be obedient. He could count on him to be faithful, even though he knew he would be fearful. That's powerful. Like, Lord, let me be that guy. Let me be the guy that you can count on to say, Randy, be a blessing to whoever, and he knows that I'm going to be obedient, even if I'm fearful, even if it's afraid, even if I'm afraid to speak up and do it the different way, or wrong way, or whatever. I want to be that guy. And can I just say, we have way too many Christians who have got the he, the we, and the me all jumbled up. And the truth is, is it's not just simply about doing it, you know. <laughs> Well, God has said, you've got to get this in the correct order. And this is, you know what? Stay on the big idea for just a quick second, if you don't mind. This has been my thing. I'm asking you guys to say it out loud with me. So I'm going to say it one more time. And then I'm going to ask you guys to join in and say it with me. So your participation in the community affects the power of the community. As Paul is waiting, he's already heard Ananias is coming. Ananias gets the word. He comes in obedience. And then in that moment... He hears from God, and God's been working on both ends with not a word spoken audibly, only the one spoken inside. Powerful, powerful things going on. So let's say this together. Would you guys join me real quick? Your participation in the community affects the power of the community. Here's what I know. God gives every gift to a church that it needs. God brings people together to fill needs. If you are here, you are a person who has a role to play in this church. And the more that you get involved, the more that you participate, the more powerful agents of change that this church and its people will be. Now, I want to just mention something to you very, very quickly. I have seen over the last few weeks some of you guys stepping forward and saying, you know what? I need to be praying for my brother. And you've been listening. You've taken time to make sure and slowly watch and wait for the things that you know have you know, been going on in other people's lives. You've been looking for an opportunity to be a blessing. I'm here to tell you, you've been a blessing. You have done those things. As you reach out to those you know are in need, when you do that, you are being a blessing. And can I just say something real quickly? What a pastor does, a pastor is supposed to do. He's supposed to care about people. He's supposed to pray about people. He's supposed to be concerned about people. He's supposed to do all these things. That's what a pastor does. But there is a different level altogether of a 
just a, a, a fellow brother, a fellow sister who comes up, puts their arm around and says, you know what? I've been praying for you all week long because your need has been on my heart. And I want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you. And before you leave, let's just pray together right here and now. And I, I have a feeling that some of you know, I'm not going to call you by name, but I'm here to tell you, I'm so proud of you guys to watch how you have been there to meet needs knowing that you were being a, a, a part of God's hand extended. Without a word being spoken, you were a blessing. You had it in the correct order. You had he first, and then you had we next, and then you had me at the bottom. That's the correct order. It's not the, the common order. It's the correct order. The he first, then the we, and then the me. Not my, but thy will be done. In honor, we prefer others over yourselves, as Paul wrote later. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then when you see that, you realize that God doesn't want us to hate ourselves. He wants us to just have this self-love under control and not running rampant. And that's a whole other sermon series that I ain't getting into, okay? But this is what we know. But then we see Paul, and he immediately gets up. The scales fall from his eyes. He's baptized, and he goes to work. The Bible tells us in the next passage of scripture that's going to be up here on the screen, immediately he gets up, he starts to preach, and check it out, he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. What are those disciples' names? We don't know. They're just nameless dudes and dudettes, I'm sure, have no doubt. So the truth of the matter is we have no idea who these disciples in Damascus were. They're just God's followers who were there to welcome the most important man outside of Christ in the New Testament era, just welcome him into the kingdom, make him feel at home, and let him know he's got a place here, and we don't even know their names. We don't even know their names. And all of those who heard him were astonished. The Bible tells us there, he starts preaching and people can't believe that this guy has this much power, this much of the Spirit of God flowing from him. It's an astonishing thing. Who are these people? We don't know them either. Now, I know what you're saying. Randy, please tell me the rest of this sermon is not just a bunch of people. We don't know them. We don't know them. No, there's more. But just know, a lot of people involved, not a lot of names, a lot of faceless nameless people doing a lot of important work on a very important person's situation and heart. They're God's ambassadors to the number one ambassador eventually. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? If y'all, if y'all get it, say amen. If not, I'll start over. All right. I knew y'all were going to give me an amen there, right? Here's the deal. Barnabas also, this guy we know, we're going to talk about him very quickly. This is towards the end. We, we know about his name. Let's go to his name as this next one. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. We know why. <laughs> but not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, how he'd spoken to him. And in Damascus, he'd been preaching fearlessly. So Saul stayed with them, a bunch of nameless people again, and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly the name of the Lord. And I know what you're probably thinking. Who is Barnabas? This dude's name is like a name drop and we're moving on. Barnabas, we don't even know him unless we've read Acts chapter 4. But let's go to Acts chapter 4 very, very quickly. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called, what? Barnabas, which means, what? The son of encouragement. That's a pretty good name. I used to tell my daughters to call me Mr. Stud Muffin. I know that's a better name than son of encouragement, but just below. Just below. Here's the deal. His real name was Joseph. His real life was all about like encouraging people. And who needed encouragement the most at that moment? Saul, later to become Paul. And so this guy grabs him and says, no, no, this guy is the real deal. Let him into our fellowship. He's the real deal. Now, stop for just a second. How many of you have ever felt like an outsider in your life? We've all been there. And if you feel like an outsider and nobody comes and puts their arm around you and says, no, 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 this is your place. Like, this place is for you. Then we will only be an outsider for so long because we are only and always looking for a place to belong. And so if you haven't reached out to somebody and said, this is your place, if you haven't reached out to somebody and said, as an unofficial member of the welcoming committee, this is your place. Or if you haven't looked at one of the people who serves here and says, thank you for doing what you do, you make this place a better place. Because your participation is sharing the power of God in my life. Thank you. Like all of us should be doing and saying that kind of stuff. That is what it is all about. All right, very quickly, how are you going to change your mind and how are you going to change your method? I'm moving really quick. Change your mind. When fear or complacency creep in, think he, not me. Because fear takes our eyes off of God and puts them on what I can do without him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the mind shift has to be anytime fear or complacency comes, you think he, not me. And then very quickly, here's how you change your method. This is how you change it. When fear or complacency creep in, act on we, not me. Here's what I mean. Act on we. That means serve somebody. Here's why you serve somebody. Because the best way for you to be a blessing to me is for you to do something nice for my kids. Right? Parents, can I get an amen? That's the best thing you can do. I don't need anything, but they could use some help doing these things. And so you're a blessing to my kids. That's the best way for you to be a blessing to me. And God's children are all around you. That's the we. That's the society. That's the people. That's the family. That's the we. And so if you hear yourself this fearful thing, complacent thing happening in your mouth and coming out, then what you need to do is you need to say, I need to let all that be aside and I need to act on we. Who can I be a blessing to? Who is the one who needs the blessing today? Because what did Ananias do? He left the, the fear of me. He left the complacency of me. And he was a blessing to we because he heard the voice of he. I know it's getting confusing, but you understand what I'm saying. He listened to God. He was a blessing to others. And he left himself at the end of the line. This is how you apply. Very quickly, here's how you apply this message. I apply by reordering my mind, that idea of when we begin to hear that fear and complacency, and then just do a small act daily, something small daily. Send a text, 
Make a phone call, send an email, be a blessing, do something nice for your neighbor who's next door. Whatever that begins to look like, act on we, change your methods, begin to change your mind and methods. All right. So how does this stuff begin to change in our world that changes and dramatically changes the pathway that we walk? I have a story that I want to share with you, and it shares about a person who was a part of community in many communities and how powerfully she changed, in a lot of ways, the plight for literally millions of people. I'm going to put up a picture real quickly. Do you guys know what this is? Now, if you know, don't, don't, don't shout it out. I know some of y'all might want to shout it out, but do any of you guys know what this thing is? Can I see your hand if you do? Yes, it's a bus. Okay, you're not supposed to shout it out, by the way. This is, I'm double on you right now. I'm doubling down on you. Don't say it. Yes, it's a bus, but there's more. Do any of you guys know what's special about this bus? Besides for it's a really cool paint job. This woman sat in a seat and didn't get up. Now do you know what's going on? The woman's name, you guys know the woman's name, right? It's Rosa Parks, who refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery bus line. So here's what's really, really interesting. You've heard the name Rosa Parks. You know her by name and name only. I want to tell you a little bit about Rosa Parks, the believer and the agent of change and ambassador for God real quickly. In this book that you see here, The, the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, he goes into it and he tells some of these stories. And here's what's incredibly powerful. The, again, we come back to that idea, the big idea that we have here, that your participation in the community affects the power of the community. This is how it happened in Rosa Parks' life. Let's put a picture of her up. If you don't know, she refused to get up to let a, a, a white man sit in her seat. She was arrested. Now, you might think to yourself, yeah, she was arrested. We understand that. I guess it happened for the first time. Here's the deal. The truth is, is if you begin to look a little deeper, there's Geneva Johnson, Viola White, and Katie Wingfield, whose names mean nothing to us, but they were all arrested for not giving up their seat on a Montgomery bus line, probably around those same years. So who are they? We don't know. Who is Rosa Parks? She's the one who is the catalyst for change. What's the difference? Here's the difference. Within Montgomery, Alabama, there were memberships of societal organizations, social clubs, local clubs, community centers, neighborhood organizations, and most importantly, churches. She was a member of the Methodist Church Rosa was involved and known. Rosa Parks, this is a quote, Rosa Parks was one of those rare people whom everyone agreed she gave more than she got. Her character represented one of the isolated high blips on the graph of human nature, offsetting a dozen or so sociopaths. You guys know what a sociopath is, right? I mean, that's a person who basically has no conscience whatsoever and will act just on their own no matter who it hurts. She by their own accounting written down about her level of dignity and the way that she carried herself, the way that she connected, the way that she was a part of the community, she offset 12 people that were sociopaths. That's powerful. 
You guys understand what I'm saying? And so as she sits and does not get up, something powerful is happening. All of the people that she knows, including people that she went to their Lutheran church that was around the corner in their Bible study, or the part of the Methodist church that she was a part of, or any of these other organizations. She served at the nearby destitute shelter, which is probably the forerunner of our homeless shelters. She was part of the local botanical club. She volunteered in making dresses for poor people who couldn't afford to make their own, couldn't do that and make their own. She offered last minute dress alterations for the white community in Montgomery as well. Parks had friendships and affiliations all across racial lines, all across economic lines, friends with field hands, friends with college professors. So when Rosa was thrown in jail, it wasn't just somebody that I don't know. It wasn't just a faceless, nameless person. It was Rosa, who's already been a blessing to me. It's Rosa, who's already been a blessing and a change agent in this community. You guys with me? And so then, what do they do? They can't leave Rosa in jail. They decide to get a boycott together. The boycott comes together, and it is the first major blow in civil rights legislation that happens in the civil rights movement. Here's part of the rest of the story. Rosa Parks is a great figure here, but do you know what happened past this? They decide they're going to have to do a boycott and they need to figure it all out. How are they going to do this boycott? When's it going to take place? It's going to take place on Monday, on the Monday of her trial. But before we do that boycott and call for that boycott, we need to meet. So 18 different leaders go to a place called the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And 18 leaders gather together with the minister there who'd only been there for about a year. He was only 26 years old. But the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King let them come and meet in his church. And the rest, they say, is history. So what happened? Why did it all change? Why was it not Geneva Johnson? Why was it not any of these other names that you don't know and have been lost to history? Why is it? Because Rosa got involved. Because Rosa made an impact because Rosa wasn't looking to be the star of the show. And as a matter of fact, she wasn't the star of the show. Truth be told, Dr. King wasn't even the star of the show. It was God's story unfolding before us all. So here's what I would say. I would say for most of us, we need to reorder and make sure that he and his agenda come first and that we come next and then the me comes at the end because truth be told if we want to transform our lives if we want to unleash new life we can't keep the same priorities in the same order that we always have and expect it to be different because it just won't it's got to be he first serving we together and me worrying about me last that's it so I'm finished I'm done. I hope and pray that the things that I have shared with you today will stick with you, help to be something that you will remember, but also too, beyond remembering that you will take action and say, I'm not here to receive a blessing. I'm here to be a blessing. I'm here to give others a blessing and let God speak 
and work through you. Let you be a part of the powerful community that he is creating and giving you the opportunity to partner with him. Heavenly Father, you're good to us, Lord. You could do all of these things on our own and yet you allow us to be involved and to be a part of what you are accomplishing in this world. What a blessing it is, Lord, to know you and to be connected to the things that you are doing in this world. May we all be yours and may we all reorder our lives in a way that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray.